What a privilege it is to be with you here in Winona Lake. It's a joy um, to know that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And I welcome, um, I greet you from Canada, eh? I'm glad you guys brought snow for me. That was really kind of you. Um, I, I know you guys worked on that really hard, but uh, it was great. And hello to those who are watching online. Oh, look, the people up, up there, too. Look at this. This is cool. It's a different world when COVID, isn't it? Uh, one of the privileges I have when I go back to Canada is I get a 14 days of, uh, of um, staying at home <laughs> when I come to visit friends like you, but we're glad to be a part of what God is doing. So many good things. Uh, my name is Philip Bryant, and I'm with Assist Church Expansion. We've been in Canada for 23 years, and for the last three years, uh, we've been working alongside of our U.S. churches and Canadian churches to see expansion. We're hopeful for many, many things. This is my family back here. You can probably see them. Um, this is uh, my wife, Beth. As many of you have been praying for her, she had cancer two years ago. We actually are just around the corner of when she had her surgery, two-year anniversary, and she's doing really, really well, so thank you for your prayers, for your encouragement. My daughter, Anna, is going to hang out with Joellen in Germany, Lord willing. She's about 45% of her support raised. She's going to go to um, Atlanta in January. She was over in school in Switzerland, and... Uh, and they and, and, um, kind of Encompass kind of got her to go hang out with Joellen, and she really loved hanging out with Joellen, and she wants to go help her work with refugees in Germany. So you can pray for her. And of course, COVID has the timing all weird, so that maybe gives us more time to get Anna <laughs> where she needs to be too. So we're all excited about that. A lot of good things are happening in our family. Uh, I wish I could tell you all about it, but you're welcome to read our newsletters and updates. A lot of cool things happening, and um, also you're welcome to give. We're, we're, we're really willing for you to do that. The, uh, the second piece here is, is of what God's doing with, with, with Assist Church Expansion. There's, there's so much happening. When we, um, when we were in Canada for 20 years kind of focusing there, um, you know, God was kind to us and, and we were able to see some churches get started and things happen. And then when we were given the privilege of kind of taking on what was then called go-to um, um, church planting, and then we changed our organization from Grace Brethren Canada to become Assist Church Expansion, what we recognized right away was that our family was not going in the right direction. When we came back from Canada, when we looked down into the States, when we moved there 23 years ago, there were 270 churches in our family. When we were given the privilege of kind of bringing this organization both in Canada and the U.S. together and call it Assist, there are 240 churches in our family. How many think that was going in the right direction? And what we recognize is that as much as we want to start new churches, and that's a great thing to do, there's a lot of churches in crisis, and we had a lot of work to do to help churches in crisis, and we've been doing a lot of that work. And our vision and our goal that we have is to see the Karis Fellowship become a movement by the year 2030. That gives us 10 more years to kind of figure out how to correct the pattern and move in the right direction. And God is giving us a lot of good things. What that means is, is that we are growing by 5% every year, we would then, as a, as a fellowship of churches, be considered a movement. What that currently means in our current size is if we started 11 new churches or new church plants or campuses each year, we would be able to see ourselves become a movement. How many think that would be a good goal to go for? How many think that's going to happen tomorrow? And how many think this is going to happen if we, just, if we don't work together and we don't beg God for lots of mercy and grace? We need God in all of this, but it's fun to see how God is at work. A lot of cool things happening, like we see what's going on in the Next Generation Church there in Harlem. We see that, that, that there's a lot of cool things going on. There is a church that was kind of trying to make it work in Harlem and didn't quite get off the ground and didn't really go, and so now they're trying to restart it. 
and we're helping Laban Reeves and his family in, in Harlem to get this thing to the next level, and we're really excited about what's going on. Or there are churches like what's going on at the Village Grace there in um, Fort Myers. We're an older congregation, and a younger congregation said, let's figure this out together, and it's been a lot of work, and it's not been easy, but you know what's been exciting to see is these two leaders come together, and many of you know Steve Shipley, and then and the Matt Nehemiah is the pastor there, and we've been watching God bring some cool healing to what's going on, and then now watching them start a new church out of this one church, Villa's Grace, and they are making some amazing steps, especially in the last six months. A lot of cool things going on, and we're thankful that we can be partnering with them to help them reach the, you know, their community for Jesus Christ. We're onboarding new churches all the time. And the fact is, right now, we have four to five new churches that we're trying to not new churches in terms of new church starts, but churches that we're trying to come alongside with us and, and assist. We have uh, 26 current church projects that are going on right now, and there are only six of us on the team. So um, can you pray for assist church expansion? <laughs> A lot of things happening. Churches that are in crisis, we're helping them. Churches that are, are, that are trying to take another step forward, helping them, and then churches that are trying to get started. And there are several churches that need to be restarted. And those are a lot of work going on. So God is at work in his family. He's at work in the Karis Fellowship family. And we're thankful to be partners with everybody as we try to assist this church expansion reality. So be praying for us, and you're welcome to pick up a card in the lobby, sign up on the newsletters, and certainly um, you're welcome to give because, you know, the problem with COVID is we weren't able to do much fundraising, and we've been able to do a lot more other things. So please help us along that side of the world. Realize I've got all these things, my, my mask and my glasses and my... Did anyone else have trouble wearing glasses and masks at the same time, or is it just me? Okay, I, I have to kind of hide my glasses until I really, really need them. I realize I can't read my notes. I need my glasses. So, anyways, this morning, you guys ready to get in the Word? You nervous? Usually people get nervous when I get in on the pulpit. That's, that's usually, you know, it's okay. We love Phil to come once in a while. <laughs> so, uh, that's, that's a, we're excited because, you know, what we're going to talk about is engaging our neighbors, Engaging our neighbors. And then I would love to give you the silver bullet. Wouldn't you all like the perfect thing to do in the time of COVID? You know, leave the missionary from Canada to come and tell you exactly what to do. No, we're all looking for the silver bullet for our community, for our situation, for our reality of COVID. It's not easy to be found, but there are some principles that I think we can kind of grow, we can draw from that we've seen in God's word that I think will really help us know how to engage our neighbors. How do we engage our neighbors. And so that's kind of what we want to talk about this morning. Talk about how do we engage our neighbors. My first point this morning, if you have your bulletins or little handouts or sheets or whatever you're doing, the first point I want to make this morning is, is that one of the best ways to engage our neighbors is to meet needs. Meet needs. That is one of the best ways to engage our neighbors. You know the story well in Luke chapter 10. The story of the Good Samaritan, this is where we find Jesus ex describing exactly how it is that we should love our neighbor as ourselves. And then the Pharisees are like, well, how do you do that? And then Jesus tells them this great story of, of, of the Good Samaritan. And as you look at the story, you see that there's this guy in crisis, and all the religious people ignore him. And then this guy, the Samaritan, he's the one who helps him out. And, and, and at the end of the story, Jesus asks this question in Luke chapter 10, verse 36. He says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The experts in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. You know, the best way we can, we can engage our neighbors is to meet needs. In our church community, there was a family 
where the, hus- the, the wife died of cancer of a, of a brother who we didn't know. So here is the brother of someone in our family, our church family there in, in Vancouver, and we didn't know him at all, but his wife passed away with cancer. It was terrible. And the, the family was in a lot of crisis, as you can imagine. He had, um, he had five kids, two older girls, and three young boys, and they were just spiraling, and their home was a complete mess, and things were really challenging. And so what we did is, is we said, how can we help? And we didn't know what to do, but how can we help? And so we went in and we helped clean the home up, helped them to move. They moved to a different place. And then we did a bunch of other things, giving meals and serving them. But for almost like three years, no response from this family. Now, the brother and the wife were still in our church and coming a lot. But the, 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 the father, his name is Arnold, and his boys and his daughters, uh, we would see them every now and then. We did an outreach event, they'd be up. But we didn't really have much contact with them. But about two years ago, God kind of drew them closer to us, and then we started to help them a little bit more. He started to get involved with our men's ministry, and all of a sudden, his boys started coming to youth group. And it was very interesting to see that as his boys started to come to youth group, they had some spiritual questions, and so even though I'm not in the youth group, I was leading a Bible study on how to know Jesus. That man called Jesus is a study that we've done in the Gospel of John, and I was able to, to lead the two boys to Jesus this spring, and we were able to baptize them this summer. Isn't that kind of fun? Now, that took five years. How many think that's really, that's, that, that's what we're looking for, a five-year plan of reaching people for Jesus? How many know that in this culture, that's probably what it takes? And we want to do this magic bullet thing. But actually, the way we got in with that family was, was when their need was present, when their crisis was in their home, we came alongside and we loved on them the best way we knew how. We didn't do it perfectly. We don't pretend to do that. But when we, when we loved on this family, God did something in that man's heart, and it took him a while to trust us. It took three years. He probably was angry with God for taking his wife, and can can you blame him, right? He lost her to cancer. But then, over faithfulness and opportunity and engagement, they started to come, and as they started to come, he too went through the study with a different person in our church, and he was able to be baptized with his two boys this summer. And that was so, so cool to see. So one way that we can engage our neighbors is we can meet needs, Okay? A second way we can engage our neighbors is we can redeem the time. Redeem the time. And you guys know this verse in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 16. Paul is talking to the church. He's talking about, you know, hey, guys, get rid of the garbage in your life, the sin in your life, the things that are holding you down. We had this prayer of confession over the Holy Spirit this morning. I thought the gifts of the Spirit, I thought, wow, that's that's pretty appropriate here, this message of, of how to confess our sin. In Ephesians 5, Paul is challenging the church to get rid of the ways of the evil things, to put those out of our lives because they're taking up too much space. You know, I look back at my life and I think of all of the time I've wasted doing wrong things, thinking wrong thoughts. And, and, and even beyond the sin and the terribleness of the wrong thing I was doing, it was actually stealing the opportunity, energy, and time that I could have been investing in others. Anyone else have had that process? You look back, as not only the guilt of sin, but I actually realized the massive loss of opportunity and time. And so Paul is kind of making that statement here in Ephesians 5. He's saying, get rid of the garbage in your life, not only because it's wrong, because he says, look what he says here in verse 15. He says, uh, uh, says be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the Most of every opportunity, and of course, if you're old King James like me, redeeming the time, okay, (laughs) because what? Because the days are evil. Yeah. You know, there's lots of ways to do that. I think think right now and in our current situation with COVID, 
there gives us all kinds of opportunities that maybe weren't present before. We don't know what they are. In Harlem, what they're doing is, is they're working with, the, with, with a housing project next to them, which is a little bigger than the housing projects I've been a bit part of, a building with 5,000 units in it, okay? <laughs> like, or three buildings with 5,000 units in them. Um, you know, Laban's connected with the guy who's overseeing that project, and, and he's, he said, well, can you help? There are 11 families in particular that are really in crisis. Can you give them a Thanksgiving dinner? Much like you guys are doing with your love, Warsaw. Well, you know what? That's a simple thing to do. It, it's costly, it's sacrifice, but it's a simple thing to do. It's a way of meeting a need, but it's also a way of redeeming the time. Because in this time, what can you do? Well, you can have people drive by, and you can hand them, hand them, I think it's great. Redeem the time. Another thing that we were doing in Medicine Hat, when, when the crisis first started in March, no one really knew how this was supposed to play out. I don't know that we still do. <laughs> We've got all kinds of rules, I'm not sure you know, which ones are which, but the reality is, is we have to figure this thing out. And so a lot of businesses were trying to figure out how to do this thing, and they were going through expenses. And so their church and the ladies in the church started making masks for businesses so they wouldn't have to pay for all these masks when people came to their businesses or even their workers because they had to rotate them out and clean them all the time. And so they, what they did is they made a bunch of masks for a bunch of the businesses in town, and they gave them to them as gifts. I call that redeeming the time. Because this was an immediate situation, a reality of what they were doing, and they were redeeming the time. So one way that we can kind of go into engaging our neighbor is we can redeem the time. I remember um, when I went um, around my neighborhood, when I first moved into the neighborhood that we currently live in, I, I got to know some of the neighbors, and one of the neighbors is a fantastic retired gentleman who is a shop teacher. He's just an amazing guy, very, very nice guy, best neighbor ever. Um, except he needs Jesus, and he doesn't, hasn't come to that yet, but we're still working on that. But I said to him, I said, hey, hey, have you ever had a block party in your neighborhood? He's been there for 40 years. He was one of the first houses built in that community. He says, no, nah, we never have, but I've always wanted one. And I said, why don't we start one? And so that year we did a block party. We've been doing a block party for nine years, except obviously this year we didn't have a block party. But how do we redeem the time? I think there's there is this reality of, of redeeming the moments that are in front of us. Similar to that, I think, it's, it's, it, I know it's not much of a difference, and maybe they're the same thing, and that's okay because it's a good way to think about it. A way to engage our neighbors is this. When opportunity, has opportunity ever knocked on your door and you missed it? How many of us, you know, we don't have to live in lots of guilt because we have Jesus in him, and isn't it great that his mercies are new every morning? How many are glad great is his faithfulness? So I'm not here to guilt us, but how many of us know that there are literally hundreds of times that God has been clear about something, an opportunity presented itself, and we just were in a wrong headspace, and so we just missed that opportunity? Opportunities only really do come once. When they come, you've got to take advantage of them. You know, the Bible says to make the most of every opportunity. We just read that verse, but I want to take us to a different verse. In John chapter 6, look at verses 5 through 9. Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him. He said to Philip, where should we buy bread for these people to eat? <laughs> I love that. He asked this only to, can you say it with me? Only to test him. He's kind of like, I, when I watch Jesus work with the disciples, I always think about how I'm working with my kids. I, I do this to my kids all the time. Like, I'm just checking on them, seeing if they're really going to think about this properly. You know, I'm just kind of testing them. He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Look what he says in verse 7. Philip answered him, It would take more than a half year's wages to buy enough food and bread for everyone to have a bite. Right? But then what did Andrew do? Andrew then 
brought up this little boy, and he says, what about this young man? He has these bread and these fish. I think sometimes when we, ha- we see an opportunity, most of us are like Philip. Most of us go, how are we ever going to do anything about this? This is way too big for us. Anyone like that? Like, this is overwhelming. I don't know what to do with COVID. I'm with you on this. I don't know what to do with my neighbors in COVID. Like, put a big sign out and say, love Jesus or something. And then they're like, he's the weirdo over there. Like, how do I actually show love to my neighbor? We tried a bunch of different things. We, 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 we uh, connected with our neighbors and said, let's start a little community pack here that anyone who has need in our community, we will help out. Well, we happen to live in a neighborhood, even though we rent there, um, that most people don't have physical needs. They're not struggling with you know, getting groceries or family not helping them or something. And so it was like a great idea to get everyone together, but then no one had any needs to go meet. <laughs> so we were stuck with, okay, we need to help someone else. But how do we deal with this with our neighbor? I want to tell you a, a, a cool story, okay? So this is about five years ago. Um, you know, when you're church planting, life is pretty busy, and you're and, and kind of like in you guys' lives, I'm sure, but you show up at the church on Sunday morning around 7, you're setting up all the chairs, you're getting the sound equipment going, you're getting everything set up and going, and we did two services, you had two services going on, and then you're doing all the things you're doing, you're preaching, you're doing all the stuff, and then when you get home around 12.31 and you have a little bit of lunch, what we would do is like, like a very sacred moment, is my wife and I would force the kids to be quiet and, and be in their rooms quiet. They could read or go to take a nap, but we were going to go take a nap, okay? <laughs> we were taking naps on Sunday afternoon. That was mandated in our home. It was very important, not for the children, but for the parents so that we wouldn't kill our kids. So, and so, so we would go take a nap. And so by around 2 o'clock, and I'm kind of gro- groggy, and I get over to the door, and I, and I, and I, open up the door and there is this really sweet um, Chinese family um, sitting there with lots of bags of food. And I'm like, hello, <laughs> hi. <laughs> and they're like, oh, um, well, we're here from Vancouver, which is about 30 minutes from our house. Um, we're here with Vancouver. We, 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 brought, uh, we, we brought the food that you ordered. Um, we ordered food. Well, isn't this Community of Hope Church? Well, we are, because we rented facilities at the, at the theater, my home was the home address for the church. And so here are these people were sitting at my door with literally probably up to $1,000 worth of Chinese food and, and, and a very nice you know, dad and daughter, and they're just smiling with their, <laughs> their food. And we're like, oh, that's really nice. And as they were at the door, my phone rang. It was Pizza Hut. They were wondering when they wanted me to deliver the 40 pizzas. And then another company called up and asked about something else. And I'm like, okay, why don't you guys come on in? And they sat down on our couch and we talked about it. I called the police. Come to find out what was going on was somebody thought it was really clever to call up organizations that didn't take credit card or didn't take whatever beforehand and then ordered a bunch of stuff for our church because that would be a cute prank. Well, that's not such a cute prank for this poor family that runs a business that made this Chinese food and brought it to us. And we were like mortified and of course the police can't do anything about it and no one can do anything about it and this poor family and so we said to them no can we pay you for this food and they just would not have any of it they would not let us pay for this food but what they did is they left us with almost half the food now I've got five kids and all but that's a lot of food okay and so what are we going to do and my wife and I were like feeling terrible for this this couple that left and then of course we told Pizza Hut they can keep their pizzas we're not going to you know whatever and so we managed all that but then what we decided was going to do okay so what we do now with all this food and my wife looked at me and she said, why don't we invite our neighbors over for supper? 
And that's exactly what we did. So I thought, you know what, our neighbors, we have good neighbors and we have good relationships with our neighbors, but they don't always come over for supper and certainly not last minute. But I thought this was such an extreme story that would certainly get their attention. And sure enough, we had 40 of our, of our neighbors come over that night for supper. And it was all paid for by this poor couple, this poor family that would not take our money. But when opportunity knocks, when something happens in your life that catches you off guard, do you shut it all down and throw it away? Do you tell it all to go back? Do you, do you get angry at it? Do you try to find a way around it? Or do you say, Holy Spirit, you're doing something here that I can't even take credit for, and how can I use this for your glory? You know, the question mark, and we always want to know ahead of time how to make a perfect plan so we can figure out how to really reach our neighbors. And there is, you should be thinking and strategically planning about that. But I'm telling you that there's enough in life that happens, that if we were to take advantage of the opportunities that knock at our door, we wouldn't have any problem engaging our neighbors. You know, a child gets sick. Sadly, someone passes away. Someone, someone, adult in the family can't mow their lawn anymore. I don't know what it is. There's something going on in your neighborhood, in your friendship pool, and the people around you. And I can guarantee you that if you just kind of ask the Holy Spirit, He will show you something that's happening. And if you're not so busy trying to do your own life, then you might figure out that there's an opportunity that's knocking at your door. Well, what's another way we can engage our neighbors? Well, I think the other way, which is kind of all, they're all kind of connected this morning, so, you know, you're kind of getting the same message, but in five different points, okay? I think others first. Others first. You know, when I go into the grocery store to pick up something, I'm a high D. Like, my personality type is either I'm all people or all task. And when I'm on task, people seem to be in the way. Anyone else have that kind of thing going on? And, and it's not that I don't love people, but right now I'm in the middle of a task, and you're in the way, sir. <laughs> Please move a, a lot faster. And, I, you know, you know, you know. and when I go to the grocery store and I'm standing in line, you know, and, and then, then someone says, oh, can I get a check on that? And, uh, okay, can I? And they want the manager. And you're like, oh, my word, I want to kill someone right now. Anyone, am I the only person who feels these kind of thoughts? Just, well, and, but really the truth is, is I'm not thinking about anyone else but me. If I would shift gears just once in a blue moon and start to think, those people need Jesus, and now that my daughter is working as a cashier at a grocery store, I start to realize, and that cashier, she's probably a nice person. I probably should be nice to her, right? And all of a sudden, it shifts gears, and I take and put others first. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 24, it says this, no one should seek their own good. Can you say that with me? No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. This is really important. We had a, um, a lady go to a Tupperware party in our church. And when she was at the Tupperware party, the lady who was running the Tupperware party was almost beside herself because her sister-in-law had just passed away. This is a different family. Drugs, lots of other things. And there were three boys involved that needed a lot of care. And she didn't know what to do. And she wasn't, she was at that time, she didn't know if she was a Christian or not. Come to find out she had been a Christian, but she hadn't really gone back to church and followed God for a long time in her life, and she was struggling, and her husband um, didn't want anything to do with church or God, but he wanted help because of his sister. And so coming out of that Tupperware party, that lady comes out of the Tupperware, or she prays with her and encourages her, but she immediately calls the elders of the church and says, we need to do something to help this family. I don't know what, we need to do something. 
And so in our clumsy little way of a, as a little church, we just started to love on her. We would come in, we, 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 that family, we would bring meals. My daughters would go and babysit their kids, which were really interesting children, all of them born from different parents, different dads, and all of them having drug, other issues happening in the home. So they were really interesting kids, not easy to manage. While the mom, well, while the... Um, while the other people were going to counseling and that kind of stuff, they were having those kind of situations happening. And so it allowed this family that we were trying to love to get the help they needed and the time they needed. And we did this for almost three months. Then the mom starts coming to the church, and she starts to grow like an absolute weed. She's just, you know, she was already a Christian, but she had kind of stalled in her faith. She started to grow, but her, her husband had wanted nothing to do with the church, even though he couldn't deny the love that he was, he was seeing. And as he started to see this love again and again, he started to come to some of the men's events, the, our men's, men's discipleship, or our men's, we're well, not a men's disciple, but a men's prayer breakfast, or we would do an outreach, or we'd do a canoe trip, or we'd do something together with men. And he would come to that. And then finally the next year, now a year and a half later, he starts to go to small group. He still won't come to church on Sunday morning. For a whole year, we're praying for him. He's growing at small group, and then he comes to the men's retreat last spring, not this spring, but last spring, and he prays to receive Jesus as a Savior. And we were able to see him baptized last summer. Isn't that cool? Boy, that took four years. <laughs> but you know what? I think that we put others first. When we see the needs of other people, when we take and knock the opportunities knocking in front of us, and we walk into that opportunity and we show love, it doesn't always give us an immediate return. In fact, I've very seldom seen a lot of immediate returns. But I have seen with persistent love, great returns. Because now that family, she's come on as our accountant at our church as a part-time, and, and he is working as a youth leader helping to coach and mentor some of our students at our youth group. Can we give God praise for that? God is glorified when we, when we choose to put others first over ourselves. And I saw that in my daughters as they were trying to babysit these kids that were really out of control. And they weren't doing it because they're being paid. They're trying to figure out how to love this family, and it was really, really cool to see. The last point I want to bring this morning, which is it's probably going to feel like the same point, but it's just said a different way. It says, bring to Jesus. Not a very good, my, my English was never really great. I don't know how I got my master's degree, but someone gave it to me, I think. But bring to Jesus. That's how we, how we engage our neighbors. Bring them to Jesus. Bring them to Jesus. Now, I, I want to tell you this great story, and I'm not going to say it too much because, you know, it's, it's, you know, all of these stories are awesome. But in Mark chapter 2, we get the story of this paralyzed man. We read here in verse 3, some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. And since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the, man, the mat and the man was lying on. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, I don't know about you, but this is a ridiculous story. We could preach this story probably 10 different times and still get something out of it. There's so much about this story that is amazing. But what I find really, really, really amazing is not so much the paralyzed man. I find his four friends incredibly amazing. See, his four friends recognized that this guy desperately needed to see Jesus and that they believed that if he was able to be in the presence of Jesus, his life would be transformed. And I thought about this this morning and last night and last week and the week before, and I thought, this story just speaks right to me in my lack of faith, my lack of belief. I don't know that I would have been one of those four guys 
You know, I don't know if I would have said, oh, there's a big crowd, so we can't do it. Okay, good enough. I don't know if I would have carried this guy up on the roof of someone's house. I don't know if I would have dug through a guy's roof and figured out how to, you know, with ropes or something. I don't know how they did it. Move, bring this guy down and interrupt Jesus' conversation with all these hundreds of people and just bring this guy down in front of Jesus. I don't know if I would have been rude and interrupted the world. I don't know if I would have cut a guy's roof open. I don't know if I would have carried a guy on top of a roof. I don't know. How many of us would have done that? Because we don't own church. We don't own how desperately the people around us need Jesus Christ. We don't believe that Jesus is the answer and the cure for the things that are really hurting these people, which is not COVID, even though COVID is real, and, we, and all of us have been affected by it. Obviously, many of you and our friends, like the Delos right now, are home because of COVID. COVID is real, but there's an eternal reality that's even greater. Amen? And we've got to figure out how to have this deep understanding of the eternal and recognize that Jesus is the only one who's going to give the real cure for their life. And I think if we start to gain a passion for people and their lostness and can set aside all of the peculiarities that are in front of us, whether they're in a life full of sin or drugs or sexual misbehavior or whatever, or deviance or pain or they look different or act different or they, whatever they do that's different, we can't get, we got to get past all that stuff to the human being made in the image of God that God died for, amen? And that, and that we need to remember that Jesus is the one who can give them the hope that's going to redeem their soul. And we need to start to, to be a little bit more desperate, not so much to be rude to them, maybe rude to Christians, I'm okay with that, but not rude to them, but we need to love them enough and know enough that Jesus is the one to bring them to that we would do about anything, about anything. I just think there's so much that God is doing. And when I think about a guy like Arnold and his life, I think, you know, five years of the church trying to figure out how to love that family and the persistent love back into that home is what finally drew Arnold to say, I want to know more about this Jesus. And I'm sure there are people in your life that you've been praying for for 5, 10, 15, 20 years, and I guess I'm here to tell you this morning, don't stop. <laughs> And don't lose the reality that Jesus is the only real answer they, they can really have for the cure of their life. How do we engage our neighbors? Well, I think there's several things we do. I think we meet needs. I think we redeem the time. I think when opportunity knocks, I think when others are first, we bring them to Jesus. And we watch what the Holy Spirit and God does through us. What a privilege it's been with you this morning. I pray the Holy Spirit has encouraged you. I pray that those of you who are already acting and doing these things would be encouraged and know that you're on the right track. And for those of you that are stalled, maybe for the minute because it's been hard, life is difficult, that maybe you've been reawakened to say, God, I'm going to make you first. I'm going to make my neighbor. I'm going to love my neighbor more than myself. And I'm going to really believe that I need to bring them to you, Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Winona Lake. Thank you for this amazing church that has been an incredible partner for us. So many people here have not only given financially or prayed for us, which are all wonderful things, but they have loved us and spoken to us and encouraged us. We've been partners in the ministry. And in Canada, we've seen now six churches get started and hundreds, literally hundreds and hundreds of people come to know Jesus because of the partnership we have with them. And now together, Father, we have this partnership to work with all the churches and to see our family get healthy 
But Lord, this morning we're thinking about our neighbors. And we, in the midst of COVID, in, in our work or our finances or, or our frustration with governments that want to put more restrictions on us, Lord, help us to see past all of the stuff that's here and remember that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and spiritual darkness in high places. And Lord, the greatest mission of our lives is not our comfort and how wonderful our house looks or if I'm not being bothered by somebody, but rather knowing that we are part of your salvation to the world, that we have the privilege and the opportunity to see our neighbors come to know you. Help us, Lord, to sacrifice everything for that cause. We pray in your name.